Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks, today with special guest Robin Zachary. Hello, Robin. Hello. Robin is here to tell us all about prop styling. After working as the creative director at Bridal Guide and being the founder of the popular workshop, The Prop Styling Experience, and now with the brand new book, Styling Beyond Instagram, which we found very exciting because a large chunk of this is sourcing props from antiques and vintage sellers, which is our area of expertise. So this crossover is very exciting for us. Ah, great. Some of my favorite buyers. Yeah, I will say it was very fascinating to see deeper into an industry that I've only ever had abstract concepts of. I meet prop stylists and I understand very vaguely that they buy things. (laughs) But I I feel like I got a really in-depth glimpse into their world and how they use the stuff they buy. Yeah. (laughs) My first big question is, how'd you get into this? It's a pretty unique career path. It is. And most people didn't even know about it. Like back in the day, it was kind of an under the radar career. And I just kind of fell into it from uh, working at magazines. I was a graphic designer and working in various women's magazines, national women's magazines and small magazines, startup magazines, all different subject matter. But what was great was I got the opportunity to create or help create the photography, working with photographers to pull things together for whatever story, that things that you read in magazines. It's all visuals of different types. And so just over my whole career, I've worked in so many different areas, so many different niches. And then after working on magazines and being a creative director and managing photo shoots and working with photographers for so many years, I decided, well, that's the part I like the most is the styling. So I kind of left the, you know, administrative parts behind and I went on to something that I felt was truly creative and was kind of the way I like to spend my time shopping. So that's kind of the nutshell version of many, many years. in the uh, magazine business, but that's kind of where I decided I wanted to focus my efforts, mainly just because I love shopping. <laughs> so Can relate. <laughs> it is the most fun part of a lot of things. <laughs> it is. It is, especially when, I mean, I love shopping for myself, but also when you're shopping for somebody else, that's kind of fun, which is what I'm doing most of the time. So I do have that opportunity, you know, to each job is very different. And, you know, sometimes it involves vintage and antiques and sometimes it's all modern new things. And sometimes there's crossover where, you know, it's mostly modern because it's advertising something that's new and current, but it might be for a brand that has a heritage feel to it, like a company that's been around 100 years, and they are okay with bringing in some vintage things as well, just to kind of express that, um, you know, long standing, long established company feel. Something kind of visually reinforce that trustworthy heritage they built as a brand. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's a fine line. You've got to figure a lot out and you've got to read the client's mind. And Yeah. <laughs> I find that's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but I do a lot of things also for myself and I do create a lot of imagery on my own and do a lot of photography just for myself. And then in that case, you know, I do love 
everything vintage and hunting and picking through things. I mean, my favorite thing is picking through a box at a flea market, you know, and just to see what wonderful things are like stuck at the bottom there, you know, that could come home with me. So best experience. I have a dream of someday going to the, the Goodwill outlet where you can just dig through the bins. <laughs> well, everybody's got a dream, right? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, there's certain things that just are especially exciting for me. So, you know, I don't go into a lot of, you know, fancier antique stores because I don't have room for any more furniture, you know. (laughs) Um, I like the little things, you know. So and when I go to especially going to a new town or a new city, I'm like, already you know as soon as i get there i'm asking around where are the thrift shops where are the vintage shops where are they <laughs> so or you know if i'm driving around and of course you see the sign for a tag sale it's like pull over oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah check that out so it was particularly heartwarming to read in your book about how you kind of inherited this appreciation for vintage and antique stuff from your mother and grandmother yes they had a lot of old things i guess being them hanging on to things and saving them was just that became you know exciting for me to dig through started with old clothes you know that was the first thing i was interested in when i found out that my grandmother and my aunt had all these sweaters from the 40s and 50s that when I was in college that was all really cool to wear you know and they were like (laughs) what do you want with these old things you know and I said this is cool (laughs) you know this is great for you know college kids loved vintage clothes you know thrifted clothes you know those sweaters with different like collars fur collars and lace collars and everything so it started with clothes but then um became just objects and as I got more involved in styling I started using things that either my mother had around the house or you know my mother there's a story in the book about how my mother used to just like meet me on the platform to like hand me a shopping bag of stuff that I needed for a photo shoot and I just turn around and go back on the train back into the sea right right away you know so she was kind of like helping me out with all my styling projects in the beginning and then uh you know when she passed away I found you know the house was like a gold mine of stuff because my grandmother and my aunt were already gone and all their stuff was at the house so you know I really inherited this big collection of really cool stuff And from that, it got me going, you know, on a mission to just like continue, you know, the passion and also just kind of add to the collections that they already started. Very cool. Thanks. So I'm curious, do you have anything you collect that isn't for styling is just for you? Things that I just love? Well, you know, I mean, anything could be a prop. So (laughs) there's, you know, things that I look for. My collections, well, since my name is Robin, I just love birds and I love to collect birds. (laughs) So, So my little collection, you know, started when I was really young. I had, a, you know, people used to just give me bird figurines for my birthday and everything. So I had a couple of my own. And then I found some in the house that my mother had. And then so to this day, if I see a really cute little ceramic bird figurine vintage, I will buy that, you know, so I have like a small collection, you know, not not huge, but, um, you know, and that's just for me. I love kitchen tools. 
basically my mother had this green handle, wood handle bottle opener in our kitchen drawer. And you know, the red handle ones are so common, but the green is really a little more rare. So I started from that one bottle opener, I started a collection of green handled kitchen tools and I buy the red ones too, but I just like have an obsession with kitchen tools, vintage kitchen <laughs> tools. So, you know, I like all kinds of old tools and scissors and sewing items. I mean, my grandmother was a tailor, a dressmaker, so I got a lot of her sewing supplies. So that's something that became a collection for me. Glass bottles, vintage bottles, I love to collect. Desk ephemera, I felt like in my mother's desk, she had like all like my grandfather's things that were on his desk, you know, so there's old staplers and embossers and clips and all kinds of things that you would have find on a desk in like the 50s, 40s, 60s, I don't know. There's things that I found in her desk that she saved, but I don't even know what they're for. <laughs> so sometimes I'm like, what the, what is this for? Like, what, what did, you know, what is this tool? Every once in a while, I'm baffled by some kind of tool <laughs> that I can't figure out. So I'll kind of go to social media and see if someone can help me out with that. Yeah, internet loves a mystery. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool that there's things that aren't made anymore, but we're very you know, kind of prevalent back in the day for some task that's become kind of obsolete or something, you know, you know, I'm always looking for some interesting device, but I say (laughs) device meaning, you know, non-electronic, some kind of handheld little lever thingy that punches holes in some kind of paper that doesn't exist anymore or something. So... (laughs) Some kind of aesthetically pleasing simple machine. Right, a little. I was going to say, I do love an embosser. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> love a good embosser. I know. I have an, a green, like really heavy lady one, and I actually can't remember what it embosses or what it says. I haven't looked <laughs> But um, it's a really cool tool and also looks great in pictures if I ever have an opportunity to play around with that stuff. Got this little tool that like projects... Like something that you were able to copy, like artwork, by projecting it on this to it's something like totally unnecessary now, but it's called a (laughs) C-Metral copier. (laughs) So, and it's the coolest thing because it, I don't even know what it does, but it like casts some, you look through it and it, you can copy something that's like, like a projector almost, but it's a little analog tool. It's not a plug-in thing. So this is what I mean, like all kinds of weird gizmos and thingies that I found in the house. That's really cool. Yeah, it sounds a bit like a camera obscura. Yeah, I haven't seen these in person. I've heard of them. They kind of like just reflect an image back. Yeah. What's really great is packaging and boxes from old tools and devices. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that is like when we were cleaning out the house, there's all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm taking that. Like, you know, I was cleaning this out with my sister. <laughs> she didn't want any of that stuff. You know, Band-Aid boxes, you know, the tin boxes. And there were still Band-Aids in them with the string, that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, so I have some of those and just all the stuff in the medicine cabinet was fascinating. You know, if you live in a house long enough and you've gone through decades, <laughs> especially, I mean, it was like from the 60s to the 2000s, early 2000s, like 40 something years, you know, a lot changed in that time period. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there are relics 
you know, plus then, so my mother also liked to collect antiques, like the house was furnished with real, I say antiques, you know, like dining table and, you know, antique, just antique pieces all over the place, like big antiques, you know, like big decor type things. So I was kind of dragged around to find those things, which as a little kid, I wasn't really that interested in it. But all the other little things that I found, all these other relics are really kind of fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, everything, because like my uncle's barware was there and my grandma's sewing box and all her cool stuff. And, you know, my aunt, you know, used to collect decorative plates, you know, so there was... (laughs) Oh, that's classic. Everybody's collections were there. So, you know, I got a lot of that. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't even, I I ended up with two storage spaces and stuffing things into my car. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. Highly relatable. Yeah, my parents are cleaning out both my grandmother's house and their house at the moment. So, yep, car car full of vintage glassware. (laughs) I don't even have that excuse. I just put it, I buy it. toss some things because I didn't have one square inch left in my car on the last night and I'm sorry that you know because we had gotten a big dumpster and we had to just throw some stuff in there because it was just the end of the line you know yeah 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 and I had already given away like truckloads of stuff and <laughs> you know taken all I wanted that I could fit in and I few things I I still think about and this was like 15 or 16 years ago I still think about that iron that I tossed that said Dacron <laughs> nylon you know all those whatever those synthetic fabrics and everything I was like damn I sort of kept that that's a really cool thing but oh, oh man I dream about it <laughs> <laughs> So how would you say that antiques and vintage items inspire and inform your prop styling? Well, I think for me, it's mostly family connection. You know, it's all I've got left of them, you know, so it reminds me of them. So a lot of things I'll put together are like little memory, a memory box or a tribute or something like that, where I'll, you know, gather up a bunch of things, like, let's say with the theme, you know, I might want to do something about my grandmother. So I'll gather up sewing supplies and a picture of her and her scissors and her things. And then I might put it in a setting that I've created that may, is, you know, I have creative license to add things in that are not hers but what could be hers you know something like that so I do take a lot of creative license in it just kind of collecting items that evoke the same sort of feeling that she did exactly and then I do use a lot of photos also so I'll I'll have like an establishing photo of maybe my mother as a teenager or young girl and I knew she used to she was an artist and she loved art supplies and I do have a lot of like little vintage sets of paints and things that were hers you know I might create like just like an art supply scene you know like a cup with paint brushes and some maybe may have been hers and some are not and some were mine you know but she used to she provided me with all the art supplies I could ever want you know so I was always just kind of digging around in the basement and I'd find something that was there you know and it was always all kinds of pastels and paints and brushes and papers and I don't know all kinds of things and a lot of it I, I have and it's like old bottles of like dried up paints and everything but they look really cool (laughs) so I'll do a little arrangement or something with a picture of her you know I'd love to 
have it based on a family member. Or if I don't do something directly about a family member, I'll kind of create a persona in my mind, you know, of somebody from a certain time period. And like, let's say they were into gardening, they'll have vintage gardening tools and plants and flowers and seed packets and all kinds of things. So either it's somebody I know or somebody that I've imagined. (laughs) So yeah, kind of a character you can tell that visual story about. Yes, it's all about a, a story. Yeah, I would say for my when I do things for myself, or if I teach like a class, I do a class um, through the Penumbra Foundation in New York, which is uh, vintage camera enthusiasts. And so they do wet plate photos, and they have every kind of camera, you know, from camera type that's (laughs) non-digital from (laughs) all kinds of printing and everything. So you know, so from time to time I teach there. And so we, we talk about, you know, creating these tributes and whether it's a person or an imaginary person, you know, you go to a vintage shop, there's always a bin of old photos. So I say like, you know, you can dig through and find some people that look interesting and just, you know, say, oh, that's your, you know, great uncle or somebody <laughs> as a kid, you know, or some, you make up a story around it. So but I just love looking through those bins of pictures. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's somebody's family, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Or where they are. You know, there's certain things about old photos. It's like it's either their vacation or standing in front of their house. <laughs> but there weren't a lot of pictures of stuff back then. People didn't even think to take pictures of their things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, I don't come across still life photos much. You know, like maybe the car, <laughs> that's something, you know, they want to <laughs> their car, but it's really rare to find something. I mean, you, you see still life paintings, but you don't see photography. It was not used to photograph your stuff. Huh. I wonder when that switch ever occurred. Yeah, I don't, well, this whole obsession of like shooting photos of arranged still life is a more recent thing, you know, I mean... I mean, you'd see things in magazines that were arranged or ads and that kind of thing. But that's like professional commercial photography. But just the average person didn't really uh, photograph their stuff. If I see like the slightest inclination of a thing, I'll buy it. But I've seen people like outside their airplane or their car. (laughs) (laughs) And I've seen one interior of a room but um, like a cabin kind of thing. But I really have not seen stuff. And to me, it like begs to be photographed, all these old things, you know, like when they were new, weren't they photographed? It's like now where everybody's into photographing them now. So something to think about. Yeah, I've got to say the um, the idea of doing an arrangement with loved ones or family members, personal objects, a very sweet like memorial concept, I think. Yeah, that's what I like to do. I love that. So what if someone is just starting their prop styling journey or just wanting to get into this, what props should they be looking for in antique shops or flea markets or vintage stores? Well, I guess it depends on what your angle would be. If you're, let's say you're into food photography, you'd be looking at the dishes and the kitchenware. That's a big one. Like a lot of people are into photographing food. And, you know, I think there's so many wonderful um, vintage bakeware. My mother-in-law has a baking tin that I covet. <laughs> and I, I, she pulls it out. I like look at it and she's like, you're not getting it. 
she's got her eyes on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I look for, I'm, I look, I'm looking for a similar one, but I do have a nice, I do like baking pans and like cookie sheets and, you know, so if you're into, if you're somebody who likes cooking and likes that whole area, I look for vintage dishes. You know, if you have a certain style in mind, if you're particularly interested in the like mid-century style, I mean, that was actually the first thing I collected of my own that, that wasn't from someone like when I was young, like maybe in my early 20s, I started, I was collecting vintage Fiesta uh... because I love color and, you know, and here they are, they still, they still make Fiesta to this day, but they don't have the same look to them in the colors, you know, so I collected small pieces of Fiesta. I don't have like dinner plates, but I have like teacups and saucers and some sugar bowls and pitchers and things like that. So, you know, that was easy to find, you know, you see that a lot. So those are easy to acquire and the colors are so great. So if you are going to get into food photography and styling and prop styling, that's something to look for. Like the nesting mixing bowls. Yeah, I have several of those. And my mother had one of those that broke Ooh. on my way to or from a photo shoot. They're kind of crap. Oh. I didn't pack them well enough. So one broke. So I have a few here. And I don't remember. If, I don't think these were hers. But I do like to find them if I see them. It just depends on like what your angle would be for prop styling. If you're doing rooms and decorating, then you would be looking for, you know, I think mid-century style is pretty hot now in decorating or that eclectic mix with a little bit of mid-century and a little bit of just current interesting lamps and couches and some figurines. And also I love, love like vintage dance cookware and then also the Coben style pitcher. I know I was like looking for that forever. An aqua, you know, that like enamelware. Yeah. yeah. Always like on eBay, they sell and they go for a lot, a lot of money. Now, I guess it's a really popular one. Like the handles kind of wrapped with some kind of plastic like lanyard wrapped on the handle. And eventually I did find one for a really good price <laughs> on eBay. <laughs> So those, I think, are really coveted, and I have never really seen one in a store. Um, I've seen them on eBay, but they go, like, in a flash. Yeah. Also love the dance ice bucket. The teak wooden tall ice bucket is also highly coveted, but everybody Ooh, has that is one. a picturesque piece. It is. It really is. And I know that everybody in my husband's family, all his, his mother and his aunt, they have them. And also I go into their homes and I like look at them and <laughs> with this coveting look, you know, and they're like, nope, you're not getting it. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever gets you excited is what you should look for. Something that catches your eye will probably catch someone else's eye if you photograph it for them. Uh, I think also it's, it just depends on need. And, you know, once you're, once you start prop styling and if, depending on what it's for, if you're working for companies and working with their merchandise, you know, then they're like supplementary these other pieces, you know, so, you know, it just depends on what it is. So I feel like I always tell people to kind of buy as you go along, you know, don't buy a whole mess of things unless it's something you absolutely love. I mean, there have been really odd things that I know I will never see again, and I will just have to get it. But if it's something common that you see all the time, I pass over it, you know, unless it's a really great price, but I know that we will meet again, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
I live in the Northeast. I don't know where you guys are. I'm in New York. We're over in Massachusetts, so not too, too far off. Oh, okay. So East Coast, right? So yeah, I know people in the Midwest that have just a whole different pool of stuff. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe you guys know why, but in the, the Chicago area or the Minnesota, Minneapolis, Wisconsin, I see things that I have never, ever seen in the Northeast. And I think it may have to do with what demographic, what kind of people immigrated there and settled and brought things over. You know, so many of these things that I see are just really unique. And it's like either if they were available in the Northeast, they've been, somebody got to it before I have, you know, but um, so, I mean, as I've been connecting with people all over the globe, I see like, oh my God, I've got to go to, <laughs> I've got to go to Paris and go to some of the- got to get to Italy. <laughs> or Italy, that's right. You know, um, like the vintage is so different in every area, but of course, everybody's shopping all, from all over the globe. So things are just crisscrossing the globe and ending up somewhere else, but- so there's just so so many different things around the world and that, I find that very exciting too and I love connecting with people and seeing things that they have for sure yeah regional intercollectability is so real you see it a lot with specifically with like scrimshaw here oh where yeah you can actually buy it for some pretty reasonable prices if you're in town but I then I see people coming from Italy actually specifically in one case to drop thousands on a piece because like hey they didn't hunt whales in Italy as much so no <laughs> if at all not not a whole lot of sperm whale pods in a Mediterranean I don't think but um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just thinking like visiting my cousins out in Colorado and Montana, like I can't go two feet with like tripping over cow skull, but like good what could find one out here. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's the fun part of it is go is traveling and seeing what is common in those areas, you know, what's different. For sure. Circling back to purchasing antiques for food styling in particular, one of my first encounters with prop stylists in the antiques industry back when I was working at the shop was I had a gentleman come in and he was like, I would like to buy tables, but I don't need the legs. And I was very confused. <laughs> and I was like, this is, uh, what what's going on here, sir? And he was like, oh. I photograph food and it's much easier to move just tabletops around. And also like, I don't have to stand up on a chair to get a photograph of the table. If the table's already on the ground, I can just be standing up. And I was like, "Smart! that's the smartest thing I've ever heard. So I sold him a bunch of tabletops and then I had to deal with the angry dealers coming into the shop wanting to know why they had booths full of table legs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's extra product right there. You're going to sell I that again. Said, but they didn't see it that way. It's so true. It's very true. People are in New York are like, you know, you see a lot of things out in the trash, you know, people leave things out on the curb before the night before the garbage trucks come around. So you could find a lot of furniture. Oh, yeah. But, you know, then if it's something that's just found, you know, you could just saw the legs off and there you got the tabletop. <laughs> <laughs> One less thing to throw out. You're welcome. <laughs> Not really. I mean, he's absolutely right. Um, you do want the ability to move it anywhere you need it to be. So it's much less cumbersome if it's just the top. But then also people build their own tabletop surfaces out of planked wood. And um, But it's it's so true. Really, you really only need the top for styling so and it's easy to store because you could just flip them on their side and lean them against the wall i find that when purchaser has a really wacky request they tend to be a stylist of some sort yeah yeah i i more than once had someone come in asking if we had just the spines of books because who wants to haul around books all day and i was just like i would love to know how to put you in jail until they explain that (laughs) 
And then it's for photos, which, and then I was like, oh, I see. You're not just weird. Um, I had a guy ask me if it was okay to buy a plate and then break it. I mean, once you've bought it, we can't control That's what you do exactly with it. That's exactly what can... I told him. I said, hey, that you're free to. That's between you and the plate, my dude. You're free to be as soon as you pay for it. Because um, he <laughs> wanted to do a photo project where it was split in half. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess to buy something to destroy. <laughs> I don't know if I could actually do that. <laughs> But people definitely, you know, for special effects photography, let's say they want to like throw something and shatter it or whatever their idea is. I mean, it's better to buy something vintage, I guess, than brand new. I don't know. (laughs) I've also seen not for photography, but for people who make jewelry out of antique plates. A lot of times they'll be taking something that's like too cracked or chipped to really be worth anything or be even food safe anymore. So they'll just be like breaking up the interesting parts of the design and then like filing it down and framing it in silver or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, very popular thing to do with the damaged stuff. Let's say, do you have any broken plates that I can buy from you? Really cheap. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I've gotten that request a, a bunch before. We knew a, a mosaic artist who we would just, if someone broke something, we would just go, oh, okay, that's one more for Patty. And throw, <laughs> and throw all the shards into a box. That's a great idea. I like the idea of using things, you know, like, yeah. really hate throwing something out. And even if something is chipped, I'll use it, pens, you know, in a picture doesn't have to be perfect i mean we want it to be imperfect anyway i mean actually there was a this little teeny tiny vintage picture that i saw in a, a store there was a group of pictures and one of them had a, the handle was broken and glued back on like really poorly you know not uh. i kept going back and this little picture was still there and still there over a month i went back like several times and then finally i was like you know i think you're coming home with me today <laughs> <laughs> because it was there was something so special about it even that it was like broken and repaired you know it had like a little story behind it who knows what it was because it can't talk but i liked it you know something about it i liked it there is something really sweet about something that you know someone at some point cared about enough to take the time to fix it yes i know and if you know, I was like a master at repairing things and not telling anybody that I broke things when I was young. <laughs> I would have glue and like little to- like toothpicks and little tiny paintbrushes. And I would like glue the thing together and match the paint and like just put it back on the shelf. And nobody would ever know uh, <laughs> until maybe years later and somebody pick it up and see that it had been broken. But I, would, I was pretty good at it. And it was one of those things that I was just very determined to just like be, you know, kind of sly and do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's a pretty marketable skill. I, I know some people make big bank doing that kind of repair. <laughs> Speaking of selling and buying vintage and antique goods, how can prop styling be used to showcase and sell vintage and antique goods online? Uh-huh. Possibly to other stylists. Haha, it's Ha-ha. cyclical now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good question. I like this question a lot because, well, first of all, it's very important to make your items look inviting, right? So you've got your eBay where it's just like, here, I snapped this quickly and I slapped it down and I don't care about it. Like eBay is one thing, but if you, you know, the real, like the artists that curate their online shops, 
you know, carefully style and arrange their items. They think about telling a little story and they will cater to a more discerning audience who's perhaps willing to pay a little bit more for that elevated shopping experience. Mm -hmm. So I find that if I'm drawn into this little world, you know, that's styled and set up, I'll be like, you know, that much more excited to see a, a piece, if the same piece I found, you know, elsewhere, you know, on, you know, those other sites <laughs> That it will be like bad lighting, bad photography, you know, and shots from different angles, but just kind of thrown down and everything. That's where you want, you're looking for a deal, you know, which of course nothing's wrong with a deal, but you know, I think the people that I know that sell online that really curate their shops do very well. And, you know, things are priced a little higher, but I think people really respond to that type of uh, presentation. It shows kind of like you care enough about the item to show it off in the best possible light. And that kind of encourages the potential customer to also care about it at least a little bit more. Yeah. It's more of like an art piece than just a mundane, you know, everyday item. Most of the the shop owners that I know, you know, I've actually had a lot of different ones in my classes and like I see the difference in how they're putting things together and how you know in combination with the with the copy that they write and everything it's just part of like an elevated shopping experience that's what I can say and I know they all do very well and they'll buy it you know they'll you know buy things on the cheap and they'll mark it up considerably <laughs> and that doesn't stop people from shopping from them or buying from them it, it's I think in, you know enhances their their sales for sure do you think that the act of like styling is also helping kind of sell people back their own creativity so that's like a really weird way that, to say that yeah that yeah, was a, yeah. that was a uh, quick <laughs> double take on my end what? well i've had some interior <laughs> designers explain to me um i'm gonna make it more polite than the last one that said it but uh-huh. that a lot of people don't know what they want they're overwhelmed by choice yeah. and that when you are curating a look for them you are spurring their creativity they see what you've made and they say that's amazing but i'd have a different lamp oh. kind of thing and like that is part of what is important about styling a shopping experience you're kind of proving for them that this object can be part of the creative process by using it in your own creative process yeah you can show them how they can love it Ah. i think so i think people get inspired by looking and um thinking of using things in new ways you know seeing a stack of bowls let's say you collect ironstone i know somebody who has a you know mostly white ironstone shop and you know she she shows her own home and shelves of stacks of ironstone plates and bowls and and it's like the decor is it's so inviting and the way she styles it is so wonderful that you know putting your your collections like on display and not hiding it behind a cabinet <laughs> you know the door of a cabinet is like it's a different way of looking at decorating i guess you know um that's i think more common now than like in my mother or or my grandmother's days, you know, where she had like a lamp and a figurine and a candy dish. And that was, you know, that was her decor in the living room, you know, (laughs) on the tables and whatever. It was not the same type of way of decorating, you know. It's kind of evolved as an art form. Yes. Pretty much so. I think so. I think, I mean, who doesn't love to have shelves, you know, where they can just display stacks and everything. It's like, you know, I mean, I know plenty of minimalists too, you know, who have like... (laughs) Minimalists, they love shelves too, though. They just don't put much on them. I was going to (laughs) say... I can't relate to a lot of minimalists, but I do know some. Yeah, no, I can. 
get the book and everything, but it's certainly not me. But And I'll give them something. Floating shelves are very cool. Mm. They can be nice. As minimalists did us a solid with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> Shout out to the minimalists. <laughs> well, minimalists can be into vintage too, so it's not just all... Oh, yeah. You know. It's true. Mid-century moderns, just their speed. Yeah, and, or what about all white, you know? Everything's all white. All white means if you put a strategic piece of color, that pops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> now, Robin, before we let you go, what is the one thing you wish everyone knew about prop styling? Well, that is an interesting question, too, because it's not as easy as it looks. No. <laughs> That's an important one. Certainly not, No. <laughs> It's not, people think it's easy or people think, oh, that's, you know, just fun, right? You just kind of move things around until it looks good, right? Oh. Yeah. And then, you know, six hours later, you've lost the light and you're just kind of weeping in your living room as you can't make anything look good. Right, right. Yep. (laughs) I mean, it it takes time to work out that effective shot, you know? Um, You need to find that, you know, the perfect setting, like you said, the perfect lighting, and then it becomes challenging certain times of the year mm-hmm. if you're using angel light. And, you know, especially if you're doing, you know, trying to sell, you want to have a really nice, cohesive look. So also, now that everybody's taking pictures, so it's not just the styling. I mean, I, you know, work with a photographer usually, but if I'm taking pictures for myself, I'm doing everything, right? So that's the case of many collectors where they get themselves a camera or they're just using their phone. And, you know, even though the phones are really have like revolutionized photography altogether, there's still um, what I see, some don't realize that, you know, keeping things straight in the background, you know, your horizon line level, and that if you do have any tall things, or let's say, vertical lines that they're not flaring out or looking distorted, those kinds of things, you know, or if you have like a brick or some kind of subway tile or some kind of thing in the background, you've got a grid going on there that has to really, you have to look at it. And if you, you know, if you can't straighten it out in your camera or phone, you need to know how to use editing programs to fix that because it looks sloppy to show it, you know, things running up, you know, from left to right. Yeah. Higher. Something that's not deliberately askew is going to look right very sloppy. Right. So you're either doing it on purpose. So that means there, yeah, like you said, a deliberate use of an angle in the photo, but also just looking at all the lines and the distortion, like the phone cameras, you know, they're not perfect. And things in the front of your set will tend to look bigger and out of, well, disproportionately bigger, <laughs> you know, um, so you you have to through trial and error or learning or taking a class or something like that you want to become aware of that and i think that's something that i you know sometimes it's like a new re- revelation to people when i tell them what's wrong with their picture <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, you just did it to me, too, because I'm thinking like, oh, man, yeah, that answers some questions I've had about pictures I've taken. (laughs) Um, 
you kind of have to train your brain to make the invisible visible to you. Yeah, you have to just be aware of it. Like, you know, so you don't have one thing flying off this way and another one flying off that way. You can use your phone to take amazing pictures. You just have to know how, you know. Sometimes if you crouch down in front of things, you'll get on the level and it'll be more in proportion and more um, aligned if you lean your phone right on the table surface, you know. But if you're like standing over and shooting down on a like a 45 degree angle on something that's tall, then you're going to get like flaring objects in different directions and it's going to look weird. (laughs) So, yep. So just things that I wish, you know, not, well, I mean, everybody has to start somewhere, right? So you can only just get better and work at it. I don't discourage anybody. I just try to tell them how to make it better. (laughs) Hey, that's the number one way to learn is to just have someone say, hey, here's how you can punch this up. Exactly. (laughs) And I mean, we live in the uh, the internet era, which... uh, accessibility to learning has never been easier so absolutely and actually you see you host ways for people to learn these sorts of visual languages don't you i do yeah i do several different online classes i mean right now uh, my my book just came out so i'm busy promoting that it is called styling beyond instagram and in the book i do talk about things in the styling industry that you may not have known about and how to get involved as a stylist and different types of people that use styling in their in their work and it's actually a nice comprehensive guide to the business of styling and about planning photo shoots and like the things I mentioned about not being as you know effortless and easy as it looks you know it's all described in the book but um, I also do teach classes I'm a little on hold with that right now but in the coming months I'll be doing it again Um, so I do have a mailing list if anybody wants to kind of get on my list to just go to my Instagram account and there's links there to um, how to get in touch with me um, but I do a free class and then I do other workshops on topics I mean there's so many different aspects to styling so it's not like you can learn everything in one class you know it's a lifelong <laughs> commitment and pursuit basically depending on what you want to do with it so um, I do kind of address that in the book all the different areas of styling and all the different types of people that use styling in their careers and I do have a good section about buying props and finding props and antique shopping and um, a very useful section that in my copy has a lot of post-it notes to it's a very good it. section too by the way it gets the it gets the antiques dealer stamp of approval oh wow that's really <laughs> thank you I'm excited to hear that Because, you know, I mean, there's so much more, you know, I mean, I had to stop myself at some point. Um, There's so much more to say about it. So I just, I guess I leave myself open for another book at some point when I'm ready to do it. There you go. But, um, you know, because there's, it's a multifaceted thing, you know, there's so much to know about it. So I hope people check it out. And um, it's been getting a nice reception from all types of people. So I will say it is a beautifully made book. It is extremely extremely comprehensive. If you're in any kind of industry that needs photos, I think this book could be very helpful. And boy, I learned a lot about being a stylist. Well, thank 
you. I I'm glad that it um, speaks to people other, you know, not just the people who want to be stylists, but other people that do other things in, um, you know, industries that are connected and related. I mean, because I mean, without antique dealers, where would we find all our cool stuff? You know, <laughs> so it's, if there's like, you know, a compatibility here that you know that's important to have. So you know, so I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. If you would like to suggest episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you would like to listen to deleted scenes or listen to our special bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varian the Vampire, you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. Au revoir!